A Thousand Lives Lived podcast. The podcast where a thousand lives come to life. Where mysterious creatures take flight. Where the blind lead and where space is transversible. A place where the imagination is unleashed. Anything can happen. Hi, friends, and welcome to the show. I'm Hazel Danes. And I'm Tamara Lindsay. And today we will be talking about our new series, uh, World Building. But before we get into that, we're going to go down the rabbit hole. Falling down the rabbit hole again. What's your rabbit hole this week? Uh, that's a good question. I never have a rabbit hole ready, do I? Like, let's see... Oh, oh, okay. So mine, mine might be a little bit controversial in some ways. We could just base the entire podcast on this and get sidetracked, but like, <laughs> okay. So <laughs> I don't know. It's a little bit more political than writing, but right. like, okay. So as a Canadian, I'm a Canadian. I don't understand gun control philosophy, how, how it's thought of. I, I do not understand anything about it at all from like a Canadian perspective, we don't even, our life does not involve anything to do with guns ever. We don't think about it. We don't talk about it. I don't even know anyone that has gun. We live our lives. We're happy. So I know it's a humongous topic, but it's something curious to me. I know a lot of Americans and I'm always like, I want to like ask them, what is that about? Like, I just don't get it. Like, so I've been looking up uh, things on YouTube, like Matthew McConaughey, <laughs> right? Like you, did you watch that? I have not watched that. No, I thought it was amazing. I, I was just like, I'm. It's nice to see someone that has power or like a voice using it in a good way and helping, like his home community. That was just nice to see. Like, I like to see people who like they are portrayed as like these not so peopley people but then they come down to the world and you see no these guys these people are just human they're the regular humans they have families they have moms they have places that they grew up and it's nice to see them doing something good i am with you 100 percent. as an american i think the whole place has gone crazy um and i have a whole bunch of theories as to why you know i think we overreacted to 9-11 and it's been a concerted push for 50 years there's been a hole but um I was in Vancouver this last week and um oh my god Canadians are so nice I want to be Canadian (laughs) oh my gosh so caring and so I just had such a good time and uh you know everybody talks about Vancouver being Raincouver and I just I'm coming from a very dry place in Wyoming and so I just stood out in the rain and just got wet and it was wonderful um I just had such a good time (laughs) <laughs> oh well Vancouver's quite nice I mean for a city yeah I think like our I don't know Canadian perspective is just like uh, like I know we have shootings too we have shootings every once in a while but I mean they're like they're literally every like 10 years or something like you guys are much more pro-social than, than yeah yeah America. we're we're more like it's okay if we have rules we're okay with rules. Like we're okay with like the, the rules that have 
uh, obvious reasons for the common good. We're good for that. That's fine. What are we defending ourselves from? Fear. There's a lot of fear. It's just silly. It's completely, completely silly. I know things bad happen all the time, but like I was talking to my husband last night, we were just still confused about it. Um, And we're just imagining ourselves in Canada, because we're not in Canada right now, uh, sitting on our back deck, looking out our two acre land, and we have a valley and a vineyard, and it's just beautiful. And I just said, so this, this random man walks onto our land. What do we think to do? Nothing. Like we think maybe to (laughs) yell at him, but we don't think, is there something we can help you with? You know, like, are you lost? Like, we don't think go get your shotgun. And like, like, that's just not, I don't know if Americans would think that, but I'm just like, I just don't get it. As someone who grew up on a ranch, I, yeah, it's, it's like the cowboy ethos has taken over for sure. And that actually leads uh, really well into my rabbit hole this week. First off, my mother passed away last week, but I wrote her, yeah, uh, long time coming. She was 98, but I wrote her obituary on Saturday and it was a real honor. I mean, it was very cathartic to write her obituary. She was a very quiet person and behind the scenes, Uh, but it got me thinking very much about myth versus reality because what you tell people, and this is the same with guns, this is the same with, uh, you know, you tell it in a national sense, in a local sense, and in a personal sense, you tell stories about who you are. And that may or may not reflect reality. There's the reality of when, what went on, you know, and I, I had a great time writing this obituary and people are telling me it's very moving, which is wonderful. But then there are the parts, there were parts where mom had challenges and, um, you know, I I was the worst for it. And, and so that I think that's the reason why I'm a writer is that disconnect because I didn't see myself represented in books. I didn't see people trying to describe the, you know, like you and I sitting here talking, writing a story about what I feel and what you feel and what, what we're doing. That's what I've always wanted to capture is the reality of all the different feelings inside people versus, you know, we had this great, you know, great podcast session this morning, which we are having a great podcast, session, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, and anyway, that's my rabbit hole this last week. Hmm. All right. Okay, so uh, let's get right into our topic for today. We have a special episode today. We're calling our episode Getting Deeper. So we're basing our podcast on a world-building workshop that was given by an award-winning sci-fi fantasy author named N.K. Jemison. Uh, She's the author of the Broken Earth series, the Inheritance series, and the novel The City We Become, amongst other amazing works. You can check out her website at www.nkjemison.com. We'll also be linking the workshop to our podcast page, so be sure to check that out. Yes, be sure to check it out because it is amazing. In her workshop, uh, N.K. Jemison breaks down world building into a very intense and very detailed science. Even like she she does focus a lot on the science coming and from she does a, like a like a top down approach. So she goes really broad, and you get narrower and narrower. Yeah, right. So uh, as an author, I think I was maybe a little bit overwhelmed because like. <laughs> 
just the uh, the detail of like how she thought of every single little thing to do with the world where I had never really even, I hadn't thought of most of the things that she mentioned, if I'm honest, like, like, I think I, I think that I go at it from a different perspective of like, okay, so I start with my, my character and then I just ask a million questions until a world appears. It's like uh, more like, more like painting in some ways. Virginia, Virginia Woolf called it digging out little caves behind her characters. Right. Which so, I really liked. She would have a character and then create the world around. Yeah. Right. Or like chiseled. Yeah. Yes. So this is a completely different way that she presents uh, where, like you said, she she starts from like top down. So she had this sort of triangular graph, upside down triangular graph where um, she would start with the planet and then go to continent and then go to the ecological system and then the culture. And then you know, eventually get down to like your actual character. Which... I don't wonder though, if she doesn't also approach it as a character-based thing, because she said, I mean, her, her works are very character-based and she said she's a character-based writer. So I don't wonder too, if she doesn't sort of start with the character. Well, she said, I think she says she starts with a character, but then I think the the structure she presented was more for the workshop, although she may do that in her own stuff. I don't know. Yeah. And I, I wonder at that because like doing it like top down and like big level to small level, I feel like for me, I would get lost in like the world in that I'm creating in. Oh in, my gosh. Rabbit hole. Talk right? about a rabbit hole. <laughs> right. And like lose sight of like, who am I talking about? And what's happening, right? Because I'm not describing any of what's happening, really. I'm creating a big, giant world, <laughs> right? So like- I have to say, I do do it that way, but within context, like I'll have, I'll, I'll need a world. Like, I'll be like, okay, where did this person grow up? Well, they grew up on this world. Okay, well, gosh, I better create a world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, it's, it is good for like those big sweeping epics. Uh, like, like, so she sounds like she comes from like a sort of space- sci-fi yes. background Fantasy so sci-fi yeah mm -hmm. um so if you're doing like a big sweeping sort of epic and you want to have multiple planets and like this is a great way to build yeah. because you need to have those contrasting cultures and uh to make it interesting contrasting worlds and make it different like like this planet is a water planet this planet is a desert planet this planet is like you know you have to diversify or else it all just sounds like the same planet you're right. And I also think, too, if you're someone who like reads Game of Thrones and Tolkien and, and um, you know, all the Harry Potter and loves the world building, the worlds that they create, I think this is a really interesting way to think about the things that maybe you like you were saying that you that you don't think about, because the richer you have it in your even if, even if you don't say anything on the page about what you've created in your head, it will make a much richer story on the uh, page. And so if you're someone who loves that and doesn't know you're a writer and you don't know how to get that on the page, that I think this would be a really great place to start because you can, mm -hmm. then you have it all in your head and it will appear on the page sort of without even, without you even realizing it, you know? Right. And without explaining it, because if you want to yes, explain it, don't. <laughs> don't explain it all. It'll just like, don't do that. Right. One paragraph tops. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in her workshop, she breaks it down into like macro, which is like planet-based world building, like big, like the physical world building part. 
And then the micro is more of the culture building. For the sake of the podcast, I think that we'll focus more in on the culture building. And in another podcast, we can talk about the macro. (laughs) Yeah. And, and just as context, so she has everybody in that she calls people up from the audience and she has them do certain little parts of this whole world building. And so they, her standing in front of this audience, it's at Wired 25 conference. She has them actually build a world in real time. And she's done this with, you know, eight-year-old kids and she's done it with like full, you know, professional novelists and all kinds of stuff. So the world they create is in this particular thing, which you will see as you go along, is she puts a circle on on a piece of big piece of paper, and then a person comes up and builds continents. It ends up having like lots of little inlet, narrow places, and so they decide it's a uh, got lots of weather and rushing water because of the way. So she starts building, like you were saying, science into it as you go along, and because of that rushing water, they decide they want to do fish people, and they're really strong fish people, so they're going to be apex predators, and they're they're like, well, we need to have some sort of opposable thumbs or something so they can communicate and so they ended up having tentacle sharks you know and then 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 they talk about the different anyway but I just wanted to give a flavor of she does it in real time standing up on the stage with the people in that room right and uh we're actually going to offer a similar experience with uh, one of our extras that we're producing right now so we'll talk more about that in a second I have a list of some questions that we're going to discuss here. And they're based on her different categories of how to think about culture in your book and as you're developing your book. So she talks about morphology, raciality, acculturation, and power dynamics, amongst other things. A lot of these things, I actually didn't even know what they meant. So if you want to know what they mean, in detail, and from a scientific perspective, please check out the talk because we're not going to explain them here. (laughs) So, okay. Um, I'm going to ask, what was the most fascinating part of the micro building part of the lecture for you, Tamara? You know, it's just all fascinating. I mean, I just love building worlds. I love going down rabbit holes. And for me, I guess this is kind of the question we were going to ask later, but I guess I could get into it. For me, it was what I was just talking to about before. She talked a lot, especially at the beginning about the myths we we say versus what the reality is, or alternatively, the science versus what is made up. You can make up anything you want, she says, but you need to base it in a in a world that people recognize. And that means you need to base it in a real world. You need to be very conscious and very deliberate about the things that you change, like adding magic, adding other rules. They have to they have to be consistent rules. And if your your world should be scientifically accurate, you should do the research to understand if your world has a desert, what that's going to do to the people who live there. You know, they, you can't just transplant a Amazon jungle type people into the desert because that's not going to be the adaptation that they have. So I found that really fascinating. And as someone who loves to find the science and have it inform my social structures in interesting ways and not predictable ways often. I mean, sometimes it's predictable, but uh, often I'll, I'll let them play, things interplay and or I'll even go against type. There'll be this particular, like for instance, on one of my worlds, it's a water world, but the humans don't, and it's very scientifically advanced, but they don't adapt for underwater because they live next to another planet that is a water world. And they're like, we're not like those people. So we're deliberately not, so they choose deliberately, even though they're on a water world, 
generally not to adapt to underwater living. So hmm. that's what I found fascinating. One, one of the many things. Okay. What about you? Um, so I liked her talk on acculturation. So I loved how she broke down a sort of writing to-do list and gave like questions like, what does the culture think of its own past? And what does it seek to differentiate itself from other cultures? Like, or how does it seek to do that? Uh, and you were just mentioning that. And I think that's so interesting, like, cause it actually informs how we are as humans, right? For like, sure. and how we think of our own selves. And so the other questions were, uh, where did this culture come from? Where did the people come from? What is their origin story? Because a lot of cultures have like a origin myth. And like, I just thought, wow, there's so much fun you could do <laughs> developing an origin myth, right? So much inform who they think they are. Yeah. And what they think is important and what's not important and how they express their morals and their identity. I, th I just think like that part of... That actually, I think, is part of why what we were talking before about gun culture, I think that's one of the reasons why America is the way, where it is today is because we are very much wedded to the idea of exceptionality, of being exceptional, of being the underdog, which I think is because we are such a Christian nation, because we so much identify with, you know, being lost in the wilderness and being, we, we have, even, even though we're not that, actually, objectively, um, and many of us who believe we are that way are not definitely not that way. Um, that's a myth we tell ourselves. And, and that is an origin story that informs our current culture that we just cannot shake and has blown up in our face. Right. Like the, so I think like from, you know, I'm not American, but like from what I know of the history, it seems like what it is, is the story is the great British empire had yeah. control of this colony. They made up all these colonies and they weren't treating us well. So we took action and we're prideful of that. We're yes. Yes. Right? We're the underdog. We yeah, threw the well, tea in the harbor. Maybe you were <laughs> the underdog at one point, but that's not apparent in the culture anymore, like today, yes, right? right? So, But we very much still believe it or want to believe it. Right. We, you know, obviously as Canadians, like we don't have that because we didn't rebel against Britain. We just kept doing what we were doing. We're just like, what, we're what just... would you say is the Canadian origin story like that? Ethos. That's a good question. I don't really know that we collectively have a, I mean, of course there's gotta be some sort of origin story that we tell ourselves, but like, I don't know. I think as a Canadian, we're just more prideful of our kind of survival. Okay. You know, like that the majority of people that came here actually just plain died from the winters. The survivors were strong and we're uh, hard workers and we figured it out you know, we built our own houses. Like it's more of the um, pilgrim oh, mindset. Right, right. The... Is it also like coming together? So that's why pro-social kind of. Uh, coming together. Hmm. I mean, it's not like American, like I did it all up by my oh, bootstraps. Yeah, Cowboy, no. I did it. Yeah. There is, there is some, some to that. Cause like, right. Like, like when you're building a house and you're surviving for your family, you're working hard for your family. I think it's more a for your family perspective, as opposed to for your own, just, just for the sake of 
doing it. I don't know. Yeah, it's actually really hard to answer like the like a collective Canadian story. Do we have that? I don't know, especially from like, I don't think we're quite as aware of our history, especially localized history. I know, you know, when the first Frenchman settled in Quebec, like I know when that was. I know about the fur trade and about, you know, when there was immigrants that came in and how the population rose and blah, 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 and the West was settled and blah, blah, blah. But I don't know what the main point of it is. So I think like we just present ourselves as like we're just this massive multi- Multicultural. Multicultural, I mean, multinationals that have their own ideas. And And that's why you are so multi. I mean, it was so amazing. I stayed in Richmond, which is south of Vancouver, and it is like 80 to 90% Southeast Asian. And it was so nice. My driver, all my drivers, and just, I mean, it was just amazing. You are the melting pot, really. Mm -hmm. Um, It's amazing. I did my master's thesis on pioneer diaries, on six pioneer diaries in uh, 1842 to 1844. Three men to three women and three women. They weren't like people's recollections after. It was like people writing on the on the trail as they came across. And that's this is actually exactly what I looked at was identity and how people constructed their own identities and the identities of their groups. And there's a theorist, I think he's Russian named Bakhtin, and he talks about how we construct our identities and how how individually on the inside we're like identifying with people. We're like, that person is cool. I want to be like that person. And then we're othering. So we're over here like, I don't like that person. That guy sucks. And I don't, I'm nothing. I am nothing like that person. Um, and then you're also doing it as a group. So you're talking about, you're doing it in, in your family. What does our family mean? You're doing it as a nation. And then there's like outsiders that are always, because people are like, I am not like that person. By talking about them, they get folded into the national identity. So it's just really interesting. Um, this is something I thought a lot about because of that. And, and like when the pioneers were coming across the trail, their identities often shifted. Like when they were back East, they were very much like, I'm not like this family I'm with. But then by the time with all the dangers and everything, they're like, I'm not like the native Americans. And I'm definitely not like the French fur trappers at all. Right. So we put, we put people into categories and depending on what we need to do in life, like survive or, or, or thrive those who are different, we are either okay with partnerships or we're not. And then, um, so like in survival mode, we are forced to be with people and to rely on people that maybe we wouldn't care to be with otherwise. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and the other thing that's interesting is like immigrant population. I, I read, I read somewhere that, um, for the first day, like two or three generations, families often work hard to preserve their, say, if they have a language, if they have some sort of culture, uh, memories of the old world, blah, blah, blah. Like they, they work hard to, and it's up to the individuals of like the children, if they want to deny their traditions and embrace what they see in front of them. Like they don't see Ireland anymore, right? So do they want to continue with their Irish culture? Like, I don't even know what Irish culture is anymore, but technically (laughs) I'm Irish, right? So like, I don't know. And that's what I'm talking about. Like people chose to focus on, no, I'm in Canada. I'm going to just decide I like to do Canadian things. And you kind of sometimes have to, even with my life now, 
Um, I'm in Italy. I've been in, in Italy for a few months and we often talk about like, what would we have to do if we were not coming back to Canada? Uh, there are life changes that you have to, you can't just carry on your lifestyle that was, it's actually lifestyle is very connected to geography and you don't really exactly, realize that. Which is exactly what we're talking about, about world building, right? Yeah, uh, it's connected to ge geography. People live in a place and the place affects them. Yeah, like um, the the weather, what what is grown there, what is not, what people do with their schedule in their day. Like people nap here and they close their stores in the middle of the day. So you can't do what you could do in Canada. <laughs> like they take Mondays off and Sunday is the market day. Like, like that's not Canadian culture. Like that's not how we do things in Canada. So you have to adjust your life and it's because it's for a reason there's, they have reasons for what they do here. Like it's hotter here. Right. So in the middle of the day, you don't want to be working. You want to be inside. So and, that makes and sense. As a, right. And, and the more deeply you imagine that with your characters, the more real your world will seem and your characters can't all, they can't all be affected equally by the same things. You can still have someone who's a a fiery personality who's out there doing all and also have a have a like a really meek person or you could have because every they're going to have a wide variation within the people themselves and so you can't just have a stereotype all people of this whatever are this you know right but you can have trends where people are reacting against it and they're like everybody says this is what we do we all take a nap every afternoon and then you can have people who are like no I don't I never <laughs> nap you know yeah yeah. Um, and actually that's like where interesting stories come from. Right. So yeah. like when there's differences in culture and like, it's usually the, actually your main character is different, aren't they? Yeah. That's usually how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. Cause if yeah, they're the same, then why are you even the, why does the person have a story if they're just the same <laughs> as everybody else? Just, right? like, just, just doing, just going along. That is true. <laughs> okay. Right. We should get to the next question. Uh, okay, so uh, something I thought was interesting was uh, her talk on power dynamic. Um, yeah. So she she gave a couple examples of how a power dynamic shows up in like everyday life. Say you're walking down a street and you're about to collide with somebody. Does that somebody look at you and think, no, I need to move? Or does that somebody think, no, you need to move. And actually, right, a, yeah. Oh, I, I, and another example is that the French have a saying, the one who extends their cheek, that's a power dynamic too in the same way, in that the person who kisses is the person who's, un, and the person who, the person who extends their cheek is the powerful one, and the one who kisses is the one who is, is the less powerful one. So right, I'm sorry, I interrupted sense. you. Go ahead. No, that's okay. Um, so my question is when you're thinking of characters and worlds, do you think that the more interesting character is the one that is lower or higher? Well, see, I do both. Whenever I write a story, I have at least three points of view. I can't help it. I'm always doing multiple and they're not always, sometimes they're a couple. They're two people that are, uh, two sides of the same relation, relationship, <clears throat> but often they're just, they're people that are going to come together in the end. Um, and so I will have people who are much more 
especially since I want to be more pro-social. I want to have happy. I want to imagine futures that are happy, that we want to live in. I mean, certainly there's apocalyptic things that happen, but I also want to have worlds that we live in. And so I imagine both people who are kind of on the outs and and, and also people who are comfortable where they live and they, they like their families and they want to, you know, they want to create families and stuff like that. So I, I don't know if I have one that's more comfortable. How about you? Mm, I think I definitely gravitate towards the low, the person that is the underdog, as we were saying. Um, like, I think that underdogs generally have more interesting stories. Like, uh, like the average person who likes their life is like, like, I just think of like, if I was going to write out a person, a Canadian person who just likes their life and I wrote it out and I read it, I think I would be a little bored. There's no drama there. Right. Like, like, no I like, my, yeah, like, <laughs> like my, I like my house. I designed my house. I like my car. I have really great kids. I have a job that I like, like what? So that might be a challenge for you, actually. It is a very you big could, challenge. To, because you can have like, you can have conflict even though they have a happy marriage, you could have conflict between the parents. You could have a conflict between a mother and a daughter, even though there's a hammy, you know, for me, how that manifests itself is by going interior and going deep. Because even if you have a happy family, you've got conflict, you've got all that kind of stuff, you know? Um, yeah, um, so you can do the dynamic of like outward happiness as opposed to, right. or some people, I think it's about in analyzing different personalities. And I like to do that. Um, like, so in real life, I think like there are people like my husband who, um, they have this, like they wake up every morning and they just have this idea that everything is perfectly amazing and whether or not it is, is, (laughs) is to be seen because in my opinion, I'm not, I'm definitely not like that where I'm like, I, I just, call it like it is and it's it's not a big issue if if everything's not amazing right like it's right. not and it's not like a the world will collapse on itself if something is not perfect like whereas I think it's almost like a coping thing for him where he needs to no, know everything is perfectly good like it's like <laughs> don't tell me okay. otherwise <laughs> <laughs> like okay the contrast of personalities is interesting and that's another way to like build story, right? Right. And I think that's why I was interested in literary fiction, because I'm I'm interested as well as other stuff. I'm interested in that small stuff, which is often what literary fiction is interested in. One of the things I wanted to make sure and say is the world building we're talking about is also in all genres, is in all, whether you write literary fiction or historical fiction or contemporary fiction, and it's both world building within yourself as the writer and also the world building on the page, There's, which are two different things, but the same thing too. <laughs> but I just want to make the point that if you're writing literary fiction or contemporary fiction, if you're setting it in the present world, you aren't as explicit, you aren't as, as deliberate about how you build your world because you're using the world that you understand around you, but you still have a world that you built in your head that you're, you built over years and years and years. So it's very, very rich. <laughs> And you've done the world building. You just do, didn't do it like sitting down at a page or whatever. Um, and then you're showing it on the page just in the same way a science fiction person. If you're writing your world and you're you're in Italy and you're living this life and somebody else is, the person who's reading it is living, it's living somewhere else, they don't know what it's like to live in Italy today, now. And so that's your world building on the page is 
explaining what that is, you know? So this is not just sci-fi and historical fiction. Right. It's like every single book. Yeah. Yeah. Every book. So we're talking about, do you rather uh, create a low or high character as in power dynamic? I, uh, like I say, I think I do both. I, I am interested in both. I think I used to be more interested in, in characters who were underdogs. My characters were generally teenagers, but now I'm just interested in all kinds of different characters. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm writing the point of view of a supercomputer and that's definitely not an underdog. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty interesting. I think it's a sign that you are confident in your writing skills when you can oh. write from so many different types of people's perspectives. The same with acting, right? You think of a talented actor as someone that can play diverse roles, right? Like not just, they're not just stuck in one role, right? Like not just themselves, (laughs) because there are some actors where you're like, you just keep playing yourself. And sometimes it's not bad. Like it just is what it is and you enjoy it. So whatever. You get what you expect and that's what you look for. And yeah, like Will Smith. Yeah. I love Will Smith's movies. <laughs> I don't care if he just keeps playing the same thing because I like it. So yeah. keep doing it. I don't, yeah. like, it does not bother me. Other yeah. actors, you're like, okay. Yeah. That yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Robin, yeah. and Robin Williams is someone who, I mean, he, he, he plays himself, but he also, like, he did a convincing older woman, you know, and it's often comedians that do a lot of different, yeah, anyway. <clears throat> yeah, kind of convincing older woman. That was a good one. <laughs> Oh my goodness. It was one well, of my favorite movies. Yes. So good. I think it's fun when you can mention things in culture. You don't even need, you don't even just say what the title is. You know what that movie is, right? So that's just amazing with like books and movies and right. just these things that we just know about. Um, and that's what you're going for, right? Right, right. And and uh, if you think about it, the writer on a movie, you've got a set designer and you've got a person who does clothes and you does you have a script doctor and you have all these people and you as the writer of this book are all those things. You're the director, you're the <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, like that's that's astounding. Like you have you're expected to know all of these things. Yeah. And uh that actually goes into uh one of my questions, which we've sort of talked about um in previously in our podcast here, but um, something that the author in the workshop said a lot. Jemison. Yeah, that's her name. Um, Her first name is actually Nora, I believe, but she goes by NK as her pen name. Right. Okay. So she talked a lot about uh, getting the science right, like we were mentioning. And I thought I kind of struggled with that. Like, I totally understand like what she is saying and why I, and I think it's true, but I also am like, is it true? I'm like, yes and yes. no, because I think that if it is fully true in the way that she is portraying it, then it will tell writers that if you're not a physicist or a <laughs> astrologer just or a chemist, like just don't bother. Right. Because there, there's another perspective uh, that like that actors will take. If I don't know it, I'll just learn it and it's fine, right? But there are other people that, you know, I cannot learn things to do with science. Like to, to save my life, I couldn't do it. Like I just, <laughs> there's some things I cannot learn and I know science Well, I think it depends on what you're interested in, what you're going for. Like for instance, if we're going to use the analogy of the stage, have you ever been to a 
play where the stage is totally bare and the only the all the action it's like it is taking place in a place but all the action is between the characters and you have to imagine the whole set uh, uh, versus, yeah, I would struggle you know, with that. Yeah. Uh, versus a play where they, you know, elaborate sets that are beautiful and really help you imagine where the place is. I think writing is the same way. And, and by extension, the science can be the same way. If you are interested in the interior lives or the interpersonal relationships, if your setting of a alien civilization or whatever is more of a, not a hard science, but it's more about social stuff, then the setting and the science is a lot less important. And so I think you can get away with just, I mean, you can just have a machine that creates gravity. You don't have to figure out the science behind why the machine creates gravity. I have a machine, it creates gravity. Um, <laughs> that sounds you know? really good for me. See, I need those type of things or else I cannot write about space. I just can't. Right. And, well, and I think you can, because if that's what your concern is, you know, but if you're someone who wants who wants to do more hard science or that interests you, then then if you're not interested in science, then maybe you better not, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, I just think that's such an interesting topic. Like you said, it's the same sort of thing for history. Just because you don't know a, like a library's worth of history doesn't mean you can't write history, right? Is, right. is that that's essentially what we're saying. But then someone who is a historian and archaeologist or a history fanatic would say, I cannot write history unless I do it justice. Right, right, right. right. So and that's someone like that of... who's reading your book might get pulled out of the story because you got things that were in, in, inaccurate, but they right. might not be your audience. Reader. Yeah. Not, yeah. And there might be other readers that say, OK, the details are making me confused and I, I don't even know what the story is anymore because the, right. so, there's just so much detail, right? For instance, it's, this, is, this is very interesting because I'm like a history person and I know that you have more like science background than I do anyway. Most people do. <laughs> <laughs> Something thick with science in a book, especially even in movies, I'm just like, I, I have lost what I don't get the significance of what you're saying or doing because right. I can't comprehend the science. Whereas someone else watching and reading would be like, oh, that's so cool. Like yeah. how they, or, how they, boy, they that did that work. wrong. That's wrong, wrong, wrong. Midichlorians, man, midichlorians in Star Wars. No. Yeah. <laughs> See, yeah, I don't even, I don't even know. What well, that. so, so what happened with Star Wars is they had the force, right? And the, in the, in the three movies that came out first, which ended up being the second three, second trilogy and then they did the first three that were the prequels and they tried to make put science in what the mad magic of the the force was and so they made these things called midichlorians that you could measure and that was a very controversial because they were like you know a lot of people were like leave my magic alone <laughs> and other people were like yes midichlorians you can measure them with a counter <laughs> Okay. See, I wouldn't even know that that was an addition. I just yes. was like, sure. But I could see, I think I would be of the field of like, let magic be magic. Why are we trying to scienceify magic? Let's just right. leave it alone. Right. I, like, I'm kind of that way too. Yeah. I'd be like, magic does not need to be explained. And I think it's even better if it's not. It has to have internal consistency. You have to have rules for the magic, but you don't have to explain how scientifically it comes about or whatever. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. We should do a whole podcast on magic. 
We should. Oh my God. That would be fun. (laughs) Okay. We have one more question and it was Tamara's question. So how do you incorporate reality versus things you make up? So take it away. Okay. Yeah. And what I'm thinking about this is you have to have a record and, and, and NK Jemison makes this point too. You have to have a recognizable world. So you have to sort of stick by reality's reality. And then you have to be very deliberate about what, even if you're just going by the seat of your pants, be deliberate about the magic or the things that are different from our reality that you put in it. In other words, you need to be scientifically accurate on the world to the extent you have to make your world relatable. People have to understand it. And if you make too many things out there and outrageous, people are going to get either get bored or get disgusted and throw the book across the room. You have to be like Stephen King and write a recognizable world that is just normal and then give it a twist, whatever that twist is, whether it's a science twist or a historical twist or whatever. Or a metaphysical twist. Or a metaphysical twist. Yes. Yes. Uh, Livingston Seagull. Seagull. Livingston Seagull. Um, I'm that that's what, what makes me think of that because you're in the point of view of a of a goal but it's a very recognizable world you're flying you're doing what goals do the person who wrote that obviously knew what goals did <laughs> <laughs> studied um, the goals studied the goals I don't know if he was a scientist or not but he, he he obviously was very faithful to what goals did I mean Charlotte's web I mean it's a farm they're talking about a farm you know the twist is that the animals can talk right but you have to be able to to portray that that science or that real world, and then put the twist on top of it. If everything is twist, people won't. It's too confusing. Yeah. 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 That's some pretty good guidelines, I think. Let's see. Do you have any more questions that we can? No, I I mean, that's that particular presentation is one that you could go and watch over and over again and get something different out of it each time. Because you know, all the different aspects of what she presents are just fascinating. I mean, they would each be a talk unto themselves just to talk through that. We have already started our world building exercise and had such a blast. And you can see how just getting people in a room and, and collaboratively creating a world can be so much fun. You know, it's like Calvin Ball, you're just throwing things back and forth. And you're like, Oh, what about this? And what about that? And um, it's, it's an amazing exercise and her doing it with a whole room full of people is amazing. Yeah, it did look a lot of fun. We actually got that idea from her talk, yes. didn't yes. we? Yes. Like we said, we do have some bonus content and we're calling it a thousand and one lives where Tamara and I get together and we create a world live. So don't <laughs> miss it. We're going to be posting we, And we didn't do any soon. preparation ahead of time. We just sat down and let's create a world. And I think we've decided that we're probably going to write this world because you, how do you create a world and then not write it? That's just. Because it's a really great world. It's a pretty sweet world. And (laughs) something interesting that I liked that Jemison said was that we're not afraid of any copyright issues because our take on the world that we created would be a hundred percent different than anybody else's take. So, I mean, I'm not welcoming you using our world, but I'm just saying we're not afraid. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things you put two people in a room or 10 people in a room and give them the same prompt. They will all write something totally different. Yeah. Which is amazing. Also very exciting. We do have our 25% off promo code for any publishing packages available on our website. Uh, So if you're an author and you have a manuscript ready for publishing, please do use this promo code. It's only for our podcast listeners. So get a pen and paper and write this down. The code is 
happy publishing. Again, it's happy publishing. Use this code when you're checking out or when you're submitting your uh, manuscript. To be very specific here, go to submissions on our website and uh, submit your manuscript in the message box. Be sure to type in that code. So type code and happy publishing and we'll get you that 25% off any package. And remember that's only for our podcast listeners. We're not giving this away on our social media accounts. So it's just a very big thank you to any listeners uh, who have manuscripts ready for publishing. And we'll be continuing on with our series in world building in about two weeks. So talk to you then. Bye. Okay, bye. Well, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to our channel. We've got some great shows coming up with amazing practical advice for writers and for the bookworms, fun features on new and exciting books soon to be released. You don't want to miss out. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for all the updates. And if you'd like to be on our show, pitch us your idea on any of our pages. Until next time, keep writing, keep reading, and you'll live a thousand lives.